What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Pavalli, coming at you this time without my co-host, Andy Bailey. Uh, we are, however, as we wrap up our season preview train, this is our final season preview pod. We are very excited to be joined by James Marcita, who is the host of the Locked On Knicks podcast. He also runs the very fantastic NBA Injury Report account on Twitter. That's at NBA Injury R3 P-O-R-T. You definitely need to give that a follow. Um, and as you might have guessed, we are here to talk about the 2017-2018 Knicks, who I guess I fittingly slash accidentally left for last of the year. So how are you doing tonight, James? I'm doing uh, great. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. I was wondering why you left the Knicks for last, if that was on purpose or just fate or somewhere in between. It was, I tried to figure out like teams that wouldn't go, like as we were scheduling that wouldn't go undergo crazy changes between now and closer to the season, but I misread the situation countless times over because the Spurs were one of those teams and then we recorded it and they decided to extend LaMarcus Aldridge. So uh, uh, I guess yeah. it just worked out. The Knicks were, um, I was waiting on the mellow trade for them too. I was like, he has to be gone by the start of the season. So it, I guess all those things factored in a little bit. And if you start too early with the Knicks, it might depress your listeners too much. And they're like, I'm, I don't know if I'm signed up for the rest of these, if this is all going to gonna be like this. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to depress like – Knicks fans more than they are already depressed over the past, I don't know, three decades, two decades, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm interested to see, though, we kind of, the way we kind of start this off is what your impression kind of was of their offseason because it was weird because a lot happened at the beginning yeah. as we were leading towards the draft. Then it was nothing, and then all of a sudden Melo's gone, um, and we're entering training camp, and they have Enos Cantor on the team. So um, I'm just curious what your impression kind of was in whole of their offseason. I mean, I think it was okay. Everyone wants to completely freak the F out <laughs> over everything the Knicks do. And it's always like, oh my God, LOL, Knicks. And definitely, uh, you know, that reaction is 
deserved and has been earned many times over. But not every move is was a complete disaster. And uh, number one, in my mind, is the Carmelo Anthony trade. I mean, I think they needed to move on. It was clearly time for both parties to, to you know, part ways. And they weren't going to get anything much better than what they got for him. They didn't hamstring themselves with contracts that go three years, any old players. You know, they increased the hashtag logjam at center with the addition of Ennis Cantor, and that's kind of a, a different issue. But they did need to move on from Carmelo. Uh, absolutely. They did it without, like, hopefully destroying, you know, Billy Hernan Gomez in the process. <laughs> Otherwise, the return was perfectly fine. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that or what your th- thoughts are on that. I can get into Hardaway Jr. I can get into Baker. Um, those were probably the, you know, the major things that happened. I love that we're calling Ron Baker the major thing. His room <laughs> uh, Well, everyone lost their mind over Ron Baker getting the mid-level exception, um, which I'm perfectly fine with. The dumb thing was giving him one year and then a player option for the second. Because if you do like him as part of your core and you want him to stick around, you should make some uh, team options in there, in my opinion. But yeah, otherwise, perfectly fine with that. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I don't... Like, that deal is just indifferent to because the Knicks are not going to be good in the next two years. And, I, I mean, Ron Baker is not turning down room exception money next year. Like, there's just... The market's going to be stale again. So that if the Knicks wanted him for two years, but they wanted to make him feel like he had a little bit of power... Like, the, play, yeah. the player option to me is fine. Um, my only – I mean, I didn't like the return for the Carmelo trade, but they weren't mm-hmm. – you're right. They weren't going to get any more. I think one of the things I have a problem with is how people, like, try and spin it. Like, oh, you know, if, if Ennis Cantor opts out of the last year of his deal, like, no, Cantor's not opting out. Like, you're going <laughs> to no. pay him that $18.6 So I get they needed to move on, and I think the real win here and what people need to realize is, like, this was probably a market of – maybe one or two other teams with the Rockets and the Cavs, if that. Like, I don't – so you weren't – if you avoided taking back Ryan Anderson, like, that in itself is a win. And you don't – I guess we have to wait and see how they use their players, but the only thing that would really make this deal kind of detrimental is if all of a sudden we see Cantor just cannibalizing all of Willie Hernan Gomez's minutes. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing you got to worry about with Cantor. I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm perfectly fine with him starting. Um, for a couple of reasons. For one, you know, everyone likes to push this narrative of Tim Hardaway Jr. got, you know, demoted. He got sent to the G League. And by the way, I have no problem saying G League. I don't know why that bugs people so much. Are you It'd be team- cooler if it was named after the Orange Gatorade, so we could call it the OG League, but I don't really have a problem <laughs> besides that. I mean, like, crass commercialism is what the NBA does, so I don't know why people <laughs> are all, like, up in arms about it. Have you been to an NBA game in, like, the past 20 years? It's ridiculous. Every second is jam-packed with, like, whatever, you know, garbage entertainment and commercials shoved in your face. So G League's fine. But um, what was I saying? Oh, Cantor. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, Hardaway was sent down because his defense sucked. And then when it got better, he was brought back up to the, you know, to the big league uh, Hawks squad. And then as he, you know, acquitted himself pretty well in their team defensive scheme, uh, he was given more minutes, eventually became the starter at the end of the year. Um I don't know why you can't have Billy Hernan Gomez go through a similar thing, not even being sent down to the G League, um, but being forced to sort of like earn those minutes as long as you don't bury him. Like if Kyle O'Quinn right. is the first guy off the bench, I'm going to lose my mind. Um, <laughs> he's got to get plenty of time. And also, like you said, like Cantor, as you know, 
defensive sieve, like he's, you know, as Matador D-ish as they come. But his offense is like really efficient. If you start him and he looks pretty good, he's got a much bigger contract than Billy Hernan Gomez. That's one of the reasons you kind of goes out, looks pretty good, and they get some sort of trade value for him. Like I don't think starting him is going to destroy Billy. And if it does, then there's some issues there with his mental approach to the game. I just think, you know, if if he doesn't get minutes, that's completely insane to me. And that's one of the things that we'll definitely look at to see if like Jeff Hornacek knows what he's doing this year. Yeah, I, it's I don't I guess I don't mind candidates like there's not like I mean, Willie Hernan Gomez should play. I, to me like the starting lineups have become you're not it's not irrelevant that you're a starter. The designation matters, it matters to some players, but it matters more who's finishing games. And I think if you're gonna squeeze in this young kid and still make sure that he plays, then it's fine. But the red flags, you know, once Joakim Noah comes back from suspension, is he yeah. like off the bench before Willie Hernan Gomez? That's when it it really becomes a problem. And uh Cantor is just like I like I, I don't know. Like the Knicks they kind of sling this bowl about how Christoph Porzingis is better as a power forward and it'll help on yeah. defense that he's a power forward, but like Enos Cantor isn't gonna help Christoph Porzingis defend centers. Like he's still your yeah. primary rim protector, but now you're asking him to also run back and forth between the perimeter. So and and that's what these all these bigs like that's what it makes me uneasy about is now you're limiting the time that Porzingis should spend at what is his best position. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I think the one thing Cantor is complimentary for Chris Stapps is his rebounding. Uh, you know, because Chris Stapps' rebounding is not great. Definitely needs to improve if he wants to play center. Um, and there's some truth to the idea that Chris Stapps could be, you know, a little bit uh, more effective as a shot blocker coming from the weak side, and, you know, as defending the power forward. But I'm with you 100%. In order to unlock Chris Stapps, is full Chris Dapsness. Like he's got <laughs> he's gotta be a center. Like he has to be. He's seven foot three and can shoot a three pointer and can take guys off the dribble when they close out on it. Like that is what makes him so unbelievably unique. And he's a great shot blocker. So I think the thing is like I just don't know what the timeline is with Chris Dapps. Like that's the kind of thing that I'm like I have to remind myself a lot. Two things going on here. Like in terms of his development of being a center, I think he's got, like, a lot of time still to, like, beef up and to get better in the post. Um, but I am worried about how many, like, Nixie, full-blown Nixie tanky seasons that he's going to have under his belt before he has to make a decision in free agency. Um, so, like, I'm not so worried about him not playing all of the center minutes yet in his age 22 season, although I'd like to see him play a little bit more, but I'm concerned about when that will switch over when they're finally like, you are the starting center. The bulk of your minutes are going to come there. I think there'll always be some value in him being versatile and being able to play the four or five. Like that's good. That's fine. But he's got to play mostly at center at some point. Does it need to happen this year? That's like not what I'm not like so sure about that. I'm not so sure about when like the Knicks need to kind of like start winning games before he loses his mind there's a couple of things all wrapped up here in this issue that are a little bit hard to like parse out for me. And what makes it a little bit like weirder is I and it, I don't you know Kristaps isn't a bad power forward. Like I think this year he's gonna if he's healthy he'll probably end up being like a top thirty five top thirty player and that's if you're gonna spend most of your time out of position that's that's fine. And he's also yeah. I you know people talk about his problems defending in space. 
but he's not terrible defending in space. And when you look at how long he is, how tall he is, he's not supposed to be defending in space. And so, like, his movements there, I, I'm not going to say I've been, like, super impressed, but I don't think it's, like, this dire situation. You know what? Kristaps can switch better than most seven-plus-foot giants in the league. Yeah. Like, and, and that's okay. It's just that he's not – they put him in that position probably too much last year. And if you just look at kind of, like, the numbers and how much he had to, like, rotate between these, like, perimeter possessions but also protect the rim, like, it wasn't – he didn't enjoy kind of the same freedom that Joel Embiid got at times when he was healthy or that Carl Anthony Towns got in Minnesota. So it's a credit to him that he's come this far, but you put when he's not playing as much center, but it's like you said, at some point, and it, maybe it doesn't have to be this season, but you kind of have to follow a blueprint with him. And I'm not sure that they, they have one yet. And the other thing that bugged me out was, did you see the other day how he kind of just like slipped in that he might be seven, five now? <laughs> like why did we not talk about that and it wasn't like he was like oh maybe seven foot three inches and a like he like added two inches there and I, I couldn't tell if he was kidding or being serious like <laughs> he's got to stop you got to stop at some point it's a law of diminishing returns or whatever um but you brought up his defending in space and that was interesting because i think that was one of the few areas he actually did sort of like regress a little bit last year and i just wonder It'll be really interesting to see how that plays out this year because, I mean, I, I guess I'd like to see numbers between his freshman campaign and his sophomore about, like, how frequently he was asked to do that sort of thing, how many times he was switched onto someone, like, a foot shorter than him right. or, or more um, because I thought he was pretty good at that. Borderline, dare I say, Jared Jeffries-esque in his uh, first season at least showed flashes and those kind of, like – dropped off last season so i'd be curious to see how he performs this year if they can play a little bit better team defense although I'm not really holding out hope but if their scheme's a little bit more solid if they you know help each other out a little bit more rotate more correctly play the pick and roll a little bit better <laughs> if that puts him a couple of times a game in like better positions with respect to that man how many years have we been talking about if the knicks could only defend the pick and roll a little bit better maybe yeah. longer than i've been alive i mean that's you know that's one of the reasons I'm really pumped for Frank. I know it's his rookie season, but just like I am – usually I'm the kind of person who's like, yeah, defense is super important. I'm a Knicks fan. We invented the defense chant, and then I get sucked in by the offensive guy like everyone else. But the Knicks' defense on the perimeter has been so bad for so many years that I was really excited by Frank being like the best defensive prospect of the point guards in the draft. And I know that you know rookie point guards aren't supposed to do a ton – but in the, like, 18 minutes we saw him this, this preseason, I was pretty impressed by his lateral movement, his ability to, like, go for steals and then recover, to hedge and recover, to pick up guys like, you know, three-quarter court, uh, half court. Obviously, you know, super limited uh, amount of time on the court there. But I'm here for the frank defense experience. He's just so long, and his swipe and recover is magnificent, and what yeah. I think will help him, assuming the Knicks, you know, when he's healthy, that they're actually going to let him play substantial minutes. Uh, mm -hmm. He doesn't need to be, like, the point guard right away. He didn't play really on the ball a lot in France, and he can shoot off the ball, and he'll make some nice cuts, and that might be something that helps abridge his learning curve a bit or at least allows you to keep him on the floor for his defense without relying on him to create your offense. And that makes the old... I'll never justify the Tim Hardaway Jr. contract, and we'll get to that. But like that makes 
like that makes it easier to incorporate Tim Hardaway Jr. If you have someone else who's going to play off the ball, part of what made Hardaway Jr. kind of have this resurgence with Atlanta is that he turned into like all of a sudden this serviceable pick and roll ball handler, and he knew to make the right reads when he was going downhill with the ball in his hand. So he wasn't just being dependent on for that spot up shooting. And maybe Frank's the guy that can help make incorporating him into the offense a little bit easier. But I'm also skeptical on how. Uh, much stock in terms of minutes the Knicks are going to place in him this year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think, based on what I saw again, like extremely limited time in the preseason, um, I think he could usurp like Ramon Sessions' minutes pretty early in the season. I think it would be a mistake to start him right away. Right. Um, especially against Russell Westbrook. Um, I've been kind of, I've always been on team like start him slow. And then I saw him in the preseason. I was like, Frank's great. He's better than Sessions. And like that very well may be true. But like let him get his feet wet, like at least like a couple of games before throwing him in there. Um, you know, you've got all the time in the world to develop him. And I wouldn't be shocked if at the end of the, mm, as I said, I'm like, I don't believe it. I, I don't <laughs> think he can, I don't think he can lead the team in minutes at point guard. Cause like rookies just don't do that. Like, um, but I guess you, but their point guard situation is so dire. Although I have, for someone who is presumably like all the way washed, um, maybe it was my expectations. But when I saw Sessions play, I'm like, all right, he like does some point guardy things still. Maybe it's just because I'm like still shell shocked from the Derrick Rose experience. Oh God! Um, and <laughs> seeing someone who actually wants to set up Kristaps uh, Porzingis and everyone else on the team rather than, like, call his own number all the time, despite some admittedly still, like, impressive driving ability from Derrick Rose. Um, it was, you know, kind of a breath of fresh air even to see a 31-year-old, like, semi-to-all-the-way-wash Sessions out there. Sessions also said that. Neil Aquino reminds him of Kyrie Irving a little bit, which is not the comparison I ever would have made for <laughs> Yeah, I don't Aquino. see that. I don't see that, but... Hey, if he can, you know, mostly because when I think of Kyrie Irving, I think of his ridiculous handles. You don't and think of defense at all, either. No. <laughs> like, who, but I don't, who knows what, a lot of times when these guys are talking about stuff like this, I'd be, I always want, like, the follow-up question. Like, right. well, what do you mean by that? Because they didn't really, I think it, he might have been more talking about, like, his fearlessness approach to the game type stuff. But, yeah, certainly, like, his player archetype, I would say, is not the same. Um, maybe even the actual question in some of these situations, because these quotes are like weaved in there, and you don't really know what they were asking him. Like, you know, was, is he more like Kyrie Irving or Michael Jordan? And then remote sessions is like, oh, he probably reminds me more of Kyrie Irving. Like the classic movie poster, like, like I would see this again, and then there's a dot dot dot. But the real review was like, I would see this again, like if forced to at gunpoint and under no <laughs> yeah. other <laughs> circumstance. Um and. So, and we were getting on Kristaps before, and I do, I guess I could see where he would have, like, he would have regressed as a defender in space last year. I'm just wondering if it's because of the volume, like, or just the, the hat, the number of hats the Knicks were asking him to wear. And I had, when I was writing about something this summer, I had found this interesting, and he combined to defend more pick and roll ball handlers, roll guys, more spot up shooters, and more isolation possessions per game than Giannis Attentacumpo, which is like... Oh, my God. Yeah, so he's like the quintessential... And is supposed to be like the quintessential like wingy guy. And yet, okay. Por- Porzingis, when you look at expected value allowed at the rim, uh, he was third in points saved yeah. from that mm-hmm. area, just behind Gobert and Draymond Green. 
And so he's wearing all these hats, and yet I don't know that he cratered. He definitely didn't crater as a rim protector. He was spectacular there. But if yeah. you're going to ask that guy, he's just – he's so long where some of his movements – like he's – I would say when we look at some of these tall guys, there's always a fear that they move unnaturally or it just doesn't look right. With Porzingis, a lot of the stuff he does is fluid, but on defense, like you can sometimes see it in space. They're asking him to move like a Giannis Attentacumpo, and he just doesn't – he can't. He's too freaking long and big for that. That's that is like shocking. And the more I think about it, the more I'm like talking myself into him being now the best defender in space in the league. (laughs) (laughs) Screw you, Kawhi Leonard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because we've talked about we've kind of like hit on a little bit. Jeff Hornacek saying last year he was like switching defensive schemes from game to game. Uh, He let like the veterans, none of whom were like good at defense, like. (laughs) <laughs> like give input except for you know joking Noah like years ago like give their input on the game plan and then Porzingis has even said like quite recently this offseason that like he was confused by it everyone was confused by it so I didn't think that maybe in a lot of those situations where he looked like confused about defending in space like maybe he thought he was funneling someone somewhere and like someone was supposed to be there and they weren't like there's all kinds of situations like that where we don't know what variables were happening sometimes he just looked awkward and not great as a seven foot three guy will but Maybe a lot of it just had to do with the, you know, shoddy coaching. It's, you know, that's entirely possible. Yeah, and I mean, like, a crappy, de- like, supporting cast on defense. It was just, and if you took, I'm, I remember looking at the numbers. I just don't have them in front of me. The Knicks were, I believe, like, an okay defensive team when you took Derrick Rose and Carmelo Anthony off and left Porzingis in. And there were these, um, at some point in the season, they were having these, like Porzingis plus bench units where Courtney Lee and Noah was injured, but he wasn't in the game and Rose and Anthony weren't in the game. And those lineups just destroyed opponents. But oh, I yeah. think it was like plus 10 per 100 possessions. And again, they're bench units and it was like a sub 500 minute sample size. But I think he's shown that he has the ability to be a defensive anchor. And you kind of said it before the the whole thing last year was the shifting schemes. And it was that loss after the nets. Was it in March or April where Porzingis, just said like I, we have no idea what the hell we're doing because everything's changing <laughs> yeah. every single night and it's like go figure like you yeah. you don't coach the correct way you don't implement the right systems or schemes and Porzingis isn't going to look great all the time yeah that was when he, he dropped the like we're confused from top to bottom like the whole organization so those are some early shots fired there yeah it's, it's I was it was so great like if that's the level that he's going to be aggressive just those subtle shots and people were up in awe that he skipped like his exit interview. I was all for it. I was like, someone needs to stop this shit show right now. If it's going to be him, he's the only one that kind of has the leverage to do anything. Yeah. I mean, like he might be the only one who can save the Knicks. Like with a normal organization, I would say, Hey, approach it like an adult. And I'm not going to say a man because men don't have a monopoly on acting like civilized adults. Approach it like an adult and speak to them face to face and say, like, here's what's wrong. I want you guys to think, you know, I want you guys to, like, address this. Like, how could we be doing X, Y, and Z? We should be doing A, B, and C. But I don't trust the Knicks to function like a normal organization. And I think that they do need some media pressure on them to act the right way, unfortunately. Um, Especially with regards to Phil Jackson. Like, you know, Jim Dolan is, he doesn't, like, listen to, like, reason. He's not, like, reading some white paper on, like, you know, statistical models and what's effective in the modern-day NBA and blah, 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 blah. Like, he he knows good and bad press. Like, he's very, like, Trumpy in that way. 
And so when Chris Stapps does this thing, and then people aren't pissed at the player, which is what you would expect, like in a normal situation like this, um, I think he's like, oh, okay. Like, I think that was really what got him to start thinking about, you know, whether or not Jackson needed to be replaced. Yeah, it was, yeah, him and, uh, and those interviews that he would have on ESPN 98.7, and he would have his preparation binder with him. Oh, uh, that was just, I'm sorry for bringing him up. Dave. I know, he's, uh, he's, he's just, but yeah, I, I agree with you, and I, I don't think, you know, we don't even, like, it, uh, the Knicks are just so dysfunctional, and I don't know if you remember when Phil Jackson did his, uh, his when he first revealed that Kristaps uh, skipped his exit interview publicly, during his end-of-year media session, and he said stuff about Carmelo Anthony. And then Melo posts uh, this thing on Instagram, that picture of, I don't know if it was the Leonardo DiCaprio one, and then, like, right away you had Willie Hernan Gomez in New York and Christoph Porzingis like it. And I just found it so yeah. funny that Melo's supposed to be this toxic presence in the locker room, and I know some people probably think that he might have brainwashed Kristaps, but I think that Porzingis has really just, after two years at the Garden, kind of understood the way things we're working and I, I thought it was good. I don't know if it's actually eye opening because the Knicks turned around and paid Tim Hardaway Jr. $71 million, but <laughs> I think it was kind of good to see that display from someone who is in a, like if Melo does that, it, it's a different thing. Like, and it, but that Kristaps did it, I think it held more meaning and maybe just maybe it might've been a wake up call for the organization. Like Phil's gone, but we don't know where they go from here or what, you know, again, they gave Tim Hardaway Jr. $71 million after that happened. Yeah. What do you think is a fair price for Hardaway? I read, I remember Lowe at ESPN.com had said the Hawks were thinking 448. And I know you have to overbid for restricted free agents. And that's right. like the arguments I was getting in with people. But if, if you could have gone 458 and 460 or, you know, 456, like if the Hawks match that, do you know what happens? Then you don't get Tim Hardaway Jr. That's the, that's the play that you live with. If you can't get Tim Hardaway Jr. because you capped yourself at that, don't. I did not – I don't like the explanation they gave for, oh, well, he's a starting shooting guard, and those guys have to make, like, $16, $17 million a year. Like, no, they effing don't. They gave out a 2016 <laughs> contract in 2017 after the market had already revealed itself, and that's what was even more maddening. So uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., I liked watching him at Atlanta. I don't know. It, I don't think he'll ever live up to this contract in New York. And the other thing is – I, it, remove him from the equation. Can you trust the Knicks to continue grooming him in the way that the Hawks did? Um, I mean, definitely not from what they've shown so far. <laughs> but I do want to put on like my 9-11 truther hat for a second. Um, are we sure that no one was offering like anything anywhere near? Like, How are we ever sure about that in a situation like this? That's probably do you know what, what I'm saying? Noah's agent told the Knicks last summer. <laughs> Hey, I'm glad I'm not a GM. I do think there is a chance that he could produce roughly equal to his contract. Um, when you do look at the list of starting two guards in the league, that salary is, is like just about in the middle. Um, you know, this includes some of uh, you know the great players in the game, but like. I don't know. I think I'm irrationally high on him because I just can't stomach the, you know, the possibility. I just can't, like, I can't throw that whole player and contract in the trash, like, before game contract. That might be playing into it. But when I watch him now versus when he was on the Knicks, I do think, I mean, I'm impressed. Uh, you know, 
defense is like the huge question, but I do think you can also do a lot to mitigate what will never be like tremendous defense. Let's be honest, but let's say he can get himself to like league average for his position. You know, um, if that playmaking ability comes around, I think he his shooting will continue to improve. I mean, his shooting's a little bit overstated. Like career, he's like kind of average. He's like 35, 36, I think, from three uh, last year. Um, but like in preseason, again, it's preseason. Like he was flirting with a he had like a 50, 40, 85 line again preseason. But he's got a lightning quick release uh, in transition. He's really impressive. I think he absorbs contact a lot better on the way to the hoop. Um, but what I've been most surprised by him offensively is his like reads and like pick and roll as the ball handler. He seems like he may have gotten a lot better than that. And I saw some sort of stat. I forget the numbers now, but he drastically increased both his efficiency and usage in pick and roll last year to the point where he was something like ninth percentile the year before and last year he was like 59th or 60th percentile as like a pick and roll ball handler um so if he can make a lot of strides on that side of like on that aspect of his offense i think he can produce at a much higher level than people think and i want to use this as like an extreme example that he will never hit but like a james harden whose defense is trash there is a point at which your offense if it's like efficient and efficient and usage keeps going up and efficiency stays the same and usage rate keeps going up, that that, you know, um, overcomes like defensive shortcomings. I'm, I'm not saying he's anywhere near like hardened, but I think as he can like up his usage and increase his and, you know, or keep his efficiency the same, he might do more to mitigate what will probably be never better than like league average defense than some people think. Does that make sense? No, that makes sense, and I might even, and this is coming from someone who is terribly pessimistic on the Tim Hardaway deal, you might even be underselling what he's going to be able to do on defense at some point. A lot is predicated on what how the Knicks will use him and who they'll put around him, but he was, uh, last season, he was just, and again, predominantly going up against second units for most of the year, but he was very good when he was defending one-on-one, and that's, that can be hard to do. I think it was, he held opponents to 25% shooting, in isolations last year. He was like the 97th uh-huh. percentile defense there. Limited wow. volume, again, bench players, but like that's a sign. Mm-hmm. And he improved. You were spot on with those pick-and-roll number, numbers because I actually looked at those today while doing some research for this. So he was 59th or 60th percentile of the ball handler in the pick-and-roll, and that was when he was really, really shitty the year before with Atlanta. And it's all about... Uh, and this is what makes the deal so tasteless is that it's the Knicks, though, right? Is Can they continue <laughs> right. to develop him? And then the other thing was they peddled some bunk about... You know, we're really trying to build this like twenty-five and under team. Like, don't use Tim Hardaway Jr. who turns twenty-six in March to sell your twenty-five and under team. Like, that's it's just, a young twenty-five. It's a young twenty-five, Dad. Like, it's just I just never. It's just sometimes the way they spin these things, and they come out and they immediately have to justify the amount. Like, you have to overbid in restricted free agency. Like, we get it, yeah. and as you said, we'll never know the full range of offers that are out there. Uh, but my my immediate response to that would be, you know what? If you can't get Tim Hardaway Jr. for four and fifty eight, then Tim Hardaway Jr. is a player that you just don't get. <laughs> Fair enough. Could you imagine though watching the Knicks with like the Ramon Sessions poo poo platter at the two guard? Also, that's a dark timeline. Does like if feel, we, had... it still feels like a dark timeline. I mean, <laughs> oh, believe me, we're talking about like one of those color tests where they have like 
500 different greens and they're like put them in order from like light to dark i don't know if you've ever <laughs> seen one of those and you're like is my computer calibrated correctly why do these all look the same to me um it's between dark and very dark but if they didn't have hardaway at i know this isn't a good way to look at team building again glad i'm not a gm if they didn't have hardaway on the squad this year I, i'd have like a real hard time as even with chris Dapps and frank and billy like i don't know he he makes it i feel like i I, feel, I know I am. I'm looking forward to watching him play. And I, I this will probably wind up on, like, freezing cold takes someday. But, like, <laughs> until he proves a disaster, I have these, like, weirdly optimistic hopes for him. And maybe that's what it is to be a Knicks fan, like, hoping against hope when you know that the worst outcome is probably more likely. But that's where I am with him. It's, uh, And I don't think it's an unfair stance to take. It's... I'm just I see what I'm, I'm I'm looking at you know we're both looking at a rebuild and I guess you kind of there are two different sides of the fence to fall on and I just want to see them bottom out and have cap space especially when it was pretty clear at that point when they signed Hardaway that re- very few teams were going to have cap space next summer and now you've kind of given there's a path to getting some but you really don't have a clear one um, and it, it was it, it's more likely to me that Carmelo Anthony would have opted out of his contract than. Enos Cantor lopped out of his, so you're sort of losing that flexibility as well. It's just the Tim Hardaway Jr. thing. It was, it was immediate. It was a bad deal, and it was an overpay. And I, how much of an overpay it was, you know, maybe he actualizes it, but I don't even know what that means. If you have this 16 million dollar player, 17 million dollar player at shooting guard, you're never just going to fall in the top five of the lottery and continue to t- contend for first and second round playoff exits. And uh, probably that's my biggest thing: is is he going to be the guy when you're in this situation that's going to help? elevate you with Kristaps to the next level and where where if it's not him where are you going to get that guy when you haven't necessarily set up your cap sheet too well I guess it's for me the thing that I keep coming back to is I'm not sure at what point is Kristaps right, let, me, let me phrase it this way at what point is Kristaps not going to reach the potential that we think he is if the Knicks aren't like in playoff contention, even with a bunch of duds around him, like, is it next year? Like is next year, the year where he's got to develop until the point where like he has to be developed to the point where like, even with like not so great a team around him, he's pushing them to the playoffs. Cause I feel like if Chris Tapps is the player, I don't feel like I'm doing a great job of explaining this, but I feel like if Chris Tapps is the player who we like need him to be as Knicks fans, um, you like next year, it, we're in trouble if they're not a playoff contender, even with like a bunch of garbage around him. Like if he's really as good as we think he can be, um, like he's got to start showing it like really soon. And the point where like if he's good as if he's as good as we think he can be, like is it possible that he makes a massive leap this year and really like pushes the Knicks closer to the playoffs than people think? And if that does happen. And we're out of like the Doncic sweepstakes and a couple of these other guys that people love. Like, is that such a bad thing? I mean, I want, I'm like, I want as many high draft picks as possible and as many good young players as possible. I'm just worried about what that means for Chris Depp's development and how long we can expect that to be a healthy development as long as like the Knicks are just trash. Like, when does that switch get flipped? And I don't know like the answer to it, but that's what like, scares me about just assuming that they should be able to tank for like two or three more years yeah that's fair too because he's you know next summer he's going to be extension eligible 
And when you're going to reinvest in someone, that's when you're supposed to start making like advancement. When the Suns go and probably max out Devin Booker next summer, like they have to be done tanking because you can't pay that money for someone to anchor a blatant, you know, slop job. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I think my bigger, and it's, you actually, that's something you hadn't really considered. If he doesn't kind of, you know, if the Knicks are the worst team in the Eastern Conference next season and they're clearly not trying to be the worst team in the Eastern Conference, I would say that's probably a red flag. And I, I think that's a great thing that I hadn't even really considered is if Kristaps is as good as we expect, you know, it's kind of the, I go through this in college sometimes where it was, well, you know, if, if like Markel Fultz was as good as he was supposed to be, why is Washington such trash? Or, you know, why did Kansas get bounced with Wiggins if he's supposed to be the second coming of LeBron James so early in the tournament? Mm-hmm. There, so there's an element of that there for me. But the other thing I was actually concerned about, and you talked about him having a breakout campaign, is what if he doesn't have one? And what if it's just not his fault? Because from what I've seen yeah. of preseason, like the fact that Melo's gone hasn't created this enormous uh, system of offensive freedom for him. They seem to be running him out of the post more, which is, I, I think, objectively stupid because his strengths are, <laughs> it's not just shooting, but it's his ability to put the ball on the floor. And he, you know, last season he was doing some stuff where he just uh, literally like rose and fired off the dribble like that. That's that's his strength because that's kind of an anomaly even against some other power forwards. And to put him in the post is almost like leashing him to like this stupid stake that he shouldn't be there. And maybe they deviate from it from the regular season. But I, if you, you know what, you know how I'll get on board with Tim Hardaway Jr. is if I find out that him and Kristaps Porzingis are running about ten pick and rolls with each of them every game. If he's the guy that's just going to get them to run more pick and roll with Kristaps Porzingis, I want to see Frank Nielakina run pick and roll with Kristaps Porzingis. I'm just yeah. skeptical that. I, I actually, and I'm, I was writing for this, I'm not sure Kristaps is going to have a better season than last right. year. Like, and that's what, I think that's what concerns me more than, oh, is he good enough, like, where they need to, like, try and make progress now because that's what should be happening. I think this is the year um, where, I, like, I think where I come down on this is that this being his first post-medal year, this being the first year where the defense only focuses in on him or primarily focuses in on him, um, there will be an acceptable level of like maybe like slight plateau action in terms of like his production although i do expect him to have a higher usage rate without rose and metal on the team i tell you yeah i mean last year i was like you've got to be kidding me yeah i mean that that was that was completely inexcusable no matter what uh, phil jackson is telling hornacek to do he shouldn't let that happen but i think like this year being the first year in a post metal world okay struggles a bit improves a little bit doesn't take all the, the full leap but in year four um i think he's really got to show something that's where that's where i come down so I, I think that like the tanking will sort of come naturally this year without too much worry but i do think they'll you know I, i've seen some people think they're gonna win like 20 games i don't think that's like remotely possible but i don't know you know uh like famous last words but i, I just <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I, I I think Hardaway, like, look, Kristaps, uh, we've talked about, has, you know, already, like, some elite defensive skills, or at least the one with rim protection, right? Uh, Frank Nilkina has that potential. Um, so then you're talking about getting a wing and a power forward who are, like, pretty good defenders, and then Hardaway is maybe, you know, like, your fifth best defender. But, like... That's a scary sentence. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I, I guess as I'm talking about it, 
where are they going to find this power forward? Although a lot of players in the, the uh, well, you know what? I've been thinking about the draft and being kind of bummed that a lot of big men seem to be uh, like up at the top of the board this season. But maybe it's a good thing if they are forced into picking like best available power forward and then kind of putting Kristaps where he belongs at center. Um, but I feel like defensive wings are pretty easily found. Um, you know, off like combining offense and defense obviously is the holy grail. But I feel like there's a lot of guys running around out there who are like six eight, not that great at offense, but can really defend the hell out of things. Where you can, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm trying to justify Hardaway some more here. <laughs> well, you know, it would be actually fun, and I don't. They obviously don't have the flexibility because of all the centers they have, but. Like yeah. if you play whoever at point guard you want, I'd prefer it to be Neil Aquino just because I want to see him play. But you put Baker sure. out there, run Tim Hardaway Jr. and then play Lance Thomas and Courtney Lee with and put Kristaps at the five. Like you have, I you have a chance to hit on if if Neil Aquino's in that, you have a chance to hit on between three and four above average defenders in that lineup. And that, yeah, some that might be some, a path out of the bottom of the defensive efficiency rankings. I don't know. Yeah, someone on a like I did like a mailbot mailbag pod uh, like a week ago, a couple of days ago. I don't know, I'm losing track of time. But um, someone asked like, what's the ideal uh, lineup to keep Kristaps out of foul trouble? And I settled on um, Nilakina Dotson at the two. I think Lee at the three and Lance at the four with KP playing five. Um, yeah, that's pretty so. close. That'd be interesting. I, I but again. A one, I don't. Can they justify sitting that many bigs at once? They probably won't think that they can, and I don't even right. know that they're inventive enough to try it if they had the flexibility. Mm-hmm. What do you think of uh, Dotson? Uh, my impressions of him are limited. I just like guys who seem to play with energy and give a damn, and he seems yeah. to be one of those guys. Yeah, uh, same. I'm kind of like pumped about him. I'm definitely irrationally high on him. He's a little bit old. I think he's like 23. Um, but his shooting was lights out in college, lights out in summer league. Yeah, I don't know what his numbers were in priest. The hand in his face, he was pretty unconscious. He's got a decent NBA body, and he really hustled in preseason and was very aggressive. And um, he he did a good job of like identifying when he needed to, um, you know, address uh, an issue that had arisen during a defensive position uh, possession as. Happens about 15 times per Knicks possessions. Like he, <laughs> he, he was good at seeing when someone lost their man and going over for help and then recovering. And I liked what I saw. Again, it, it was limited, but I wonder if he's going to make the rotation. I'm, I've been thinking about this like 10 man rotation that Hornacek mentioned, and I, I based on like who he's played, I, it's, it's confusing to me to try to figure out like who he thinks that'll be. So that'll be definitely something I'll be keeping my eye on as the season starts. Yeah, his 10-man rotation consists of, like, five to six bigs, which yeah. just makes it so much more. It's... Um, it's So if you have Dawson, I have – I was – I'm super excited to see Doug McDermott. And ah. he's, like – I think he's become – and I want to stress this, that he is not a good defender. I think he's underrated uh, in how much of a liability he is on the defensive end because he tries – and if you can find time for him at the four, like he might be able to hang his own. And and the guy can can like shoot. It seems like all these shooters the Knicks bring in, they're just the, I don't want to say they're unreliable, but like they're kind of topsy turvy. Like Lee is a good three point shooter, but he's not lights out. Lance Thomas has only been hitting threes for like 
two seasons. Kristaps Porzingis is good, but he's probably slightly above average. McDermott is literally like, feed him off the catch, and he's going to knock down like 45% of those looks. And I'm, I'm excited about those types of players. I don't know that, again, we come back to the, the Knicks being the Knicks. I don't, I don't know if putting him heavy minutes at small forward around some of these lineups um, would be good for him. And I also don't know how long the Knicks are prepared to like let him play uh, either. Like, I don't know if they'll get away from him in favor of Dotson, or maybe we see Michael Beasley kind of monopolize some of McDermott's minutes in the rotation, or they could go to Thomas or Lee. Uh, but I'm excited to see McDermott. I don't know how you feel about him. Yeah, I'd like to see them give him a chance. I mean, Michael Beasley, uh, supremely entertaining. Uh, definitely talented. I have been surprised at his rebounding. Uh, I didn't really realize how big a part of his game that was. But I've been calling him Brandon Jennings Tall. Um, and Ooh. his his decisions just seem like they come from like a random decision generator. Like that's the – I'm like, why did you do that then? Like and he, he's made a bunch of like amazing like full court – outlet passes just fast breaks and then he'll like do a dumb one like you know right at someone's legs it's a little bit like kylo quinney in that way like he's got a passing ability but like when he decides to do it doesn't seem to take into account like what's going on in the game as much as i'd like to see um he's shown some like one-on-one ability but again it's like in the flow sometimes and not I, i feel like he just makes a decision on what he's gonna do like rather than reacting to what the defense gives. I don't know. I mean, like, I'm, like, rooting for the guy, but I think it's a... I'd rather root for McDermott to improve his defense and to keep showing. I've been surprised by... um, He's been cutting to the basket pretty well, McDermott. He had, like, that ferocious slam uh, the other day, which I didn't realize he had it. Does the most with the least. Yeah. (laughs) And, like... This is you can't really say much about this, but every time he played the Knicks, I wound up being like, "Oh, this guy's good," which is kind of like everyone. They all set career highs against the Knicks, but he makes such like he has such a small salary. Um, if you could keep him around for a little bit, see what he can give to you. Um, I definitely want to see what he can do with this. Like, I love ten man rotations. You won't find a bigger fan of ten man rotations than me to put on my like Trump hat for a second. But um that's a pretty strong brand though. If your brand is the 10 man <laughs> rotation. A pair down rotation is my brand. I'm putting my stake in that ground right now. Um, <laughs> but this year like that's one kind of like tanky thing that I don't mind. All these guys and Jared Dubin was talking about that on the podcast with me the other day. You're trying to figure out what they can bring to the team. Like no one no one person outside of like the top maybe four or five guys should have a stranglehold on playing time. So if someone shows you something that's surprising, like, why not? That's kind of why Cantor's making a lot of money. But that's one of the reasons that I'm, like, not so against him getting, like, a decent chunk of minutes. Again, provided Billy doesn't get completely frozen out. Because, like, he's also only 25. And, like, who knows? Like, I don't know. He's shown a, a lot of – he's he per 36, you know, if we're talking about him versus Billy, he was 24 points – for 36 last year, and Billy was 16. Eight points is a lot. There's other things going on here, but like maybe there's an outside chance that he can be part of your future. From a roster construction standpoint, you're hoping that Billy can surpass him because of the contract. But from a talent standpoint, like he may never. Like I don't think it's such a given that with the right development, he's going to be better than Cantor. Sorry to keep harping on Cantor, but yeah. Um. <laughs> No, you don't have to apologize for you, Harper, uh, excuse me, harping on Cantor. 
Um, I'm kind of curious also to, to see what you think about the roster. And we talk about the 10-man rotations. We talk about will maybe the Knicks might lean into a midseason tank. You said some people think they're going to win 20 games. They'll have to try really hard to lose 62 games in that Eastern Conference. So that would have to be delivered. But I'm curious as to whether you think who do you think is going to be the most popular trade bait for them this year? There's, it seems like there are probably a bunch of candidates. I know there are players they'd want to get rid of, obviously, but no one's trading for Cantor or Noah. Right. Um, if I'm someone else, not the Knicks. I mean, I think Courtney Lee is yeah, probably... That, that seems like it. And his contract's not... His, his isn't bad. It probably looks a little bit less great than it did last year after the cap projections, but he's still... He tries on defense when the Knicks aren't sucking, and uh, he can hit some threes. Courtney Lee's the kind of guy who, like, he's one of these weird, like, every other game guys to me. Like, you know, a, a lot of times what separates someone who's great from someone who's, like, not good at all is just consistency. Like, the bad guy can play, like, the best guy in the league, but only, like, once a week. And the best guy in the league can play, like, the best guy in the league, you know, every night of the week, you know, forgetting the fact that, you know, hopefully you're not playing seven games in a row. Um, but, like, Courtney Lee, I, like, I, I'd like to look this up. I feel like he completely disappears for a game, and then the next game you're like, oh, th- that's the guy who I wanted who's hitting, like, you know, two of four threes and playing different decent defense and getting, like, a steal or two and helping, like, run a fast break. Um, but he can definitely, for what a contender would need him for, which is to just kind of, like, be that glue guy and fill in the cracks. Um, I think he'd be really appealing. People talk about Kyle O'Quinn. Eh, I, I just, I, I'm not sure what they're going to get for him. Um, and then Lance Thomas, I, I would say like Courtney Lee would be who people would want the most. Lance Thomas after that. I hope he can stay Healthy, out of yeah. injury. Yeah. I mean, cause he just hasn't been able to stitch a full season together um and he's he has improved his three-point shot like year on year kind of especially from the corners um but that was not looking good in the preseason he was shooting something like 16 percent through like the first four games i didn't look at his final numbers but um he did look like more uh lively sprightly in that last game i, I still think he can do some good stuff for a bench unit for someone but yeah no was not going anywhere uh, Cantor's not going anywhere. I think it's those three guys you're looking at as the main trade bait. Um, and before I kind of get your thoughts on their projections for this year, what, what do you think about Mr. Room-Level Exception, Ron Baker? What kind of role do you see him playing with them this year? I don't think that he could possibly shoot any worse than he did last year. Upside. Um, so he's got, he's got mad upside. He shot pretty decently in college. I don't know what the numbers are, but um, it was he was an okay shooter in college. I think um, I like his defense. Like the other up, but like he had a hand in his face, and Harden's like unbelievable. Um, he does this thing where like he's really good at when he gets a steal, even if he's like doing like a spinning turtle on his back thing, he somehow gets the ball <laughs> going forward, like up the court, and like it leads to points a lot, like. Um, I think it's uh, Jeffrey Ballone from like the Knicks wall did like a film study on him like last season where he showed all these plays where he was like falling all over the place and somehow still gets the ball out and keeps the play moving. Um, I like his court awareness. I think he's like, okay, as a pick and roll uh, ball handler. 
Um, I, I'm actually, and he would come in these bench units, which again went went up against other bench units. But like the starters would be like straight stinking New York City Chinatown July trash, and he would come in with some bench guys, and they would like do a pretty good job against the other team's bench guys. But they're all NBA players here, so you know I'm not like thrilled and like I'm not up late at night thinking about watching Ron Baker play this year. <laughs> <laughs> but like. But I think he could surprise some people. I really do. And I, I just can't wait to, like, listen to all my takes, like, six months into the season. <laughs> I'm ready to – or three months in when I'm ready to, uh, you know, end it all. But I, I, think he might, I think he might surprise some people. Well, two things. One, someone has to put – if the Knicks are going to be a bad team, someone's got to put up numbers. So you're bound to hit on something. Yeah. Um, also, when Rob Baker, you're right. I remember he was a good shooter in college, or at least a serviceable one. And, and even last year, while he was clanging threes off every which part of the rim, he still shot 46.2% between 16 feet and the three-point line. So if you're going to shoot that uh-huh. on long twos, like we can hope that his free throw percentage will climb into the 70s and that he could be a league average three-point Yeah, that's a high. I didn't realize. That's a high, long, mid-range percentage, yeah. Yeah, hmm. I mean, he wasn't like... I, this wasn't the guy who was shooting a ton of shots, but 12% of his shot attempts came from that range. That wasn't insubstantial relative to his distribution. And he'll probably get more reps this year, I think would be the why you pay him room level yeah. exception. But um, I am I love watching him play defense. I, I love it. I don't, I'm probably indifferent to him as like a facilitator when he's a point guard. Uh, but sure, there, sure. There were nights, and I think there was this game in Milwaukee where he was just so much better than Derrick Rose, and they put Derrick Rose back in the game. That was, like, winnable. And they might have still won it or they lost it, but uh, he he brings a spark, and there's that's something in him. And he was – they overpaid him, but it was one of those things where whether you're a fan of the team or not, it's just, yeah, just overpay Ron Baker. Like, that's fine. I support that. <laughs> yeah. And I think one of the – you know, like, defense like passing is one of these cliche things. That's super contagious. When he's out there – whether or not he looks like he's going crazy because he's like lacks ability, like I'm not exactly sure, but like you're gonna look like a clown if you're not trying to like at least somewhat match his intensity out there. It's like why is Ron Baker trying so hard and everyone else is just coasting? So I'm not gonna say he's the only guy who tries on the team or whatever, but um, yeah, I, I like watching him play defense too. So what do you kind of see as the? They're tough. We usually do best case, worst case scenario, but I yeah. I don't know if we need to flip it or. But what do you see? So let's just say. What do you see as their worst-case scenario? And I don't know how you want – I'll let you interpret that as you want. Is it they win too many games um, or, you know, are they actually just that bad that they are that shitty? <laughs> if they somehow make the playoffs, like, shit is going really well with their young players. Like, I think that is good, honestly. Unless – like, worst-case scenario is, like, everyone in the East – wins like 35 games max and the Knicks are somehow like the four seed like with like a 35 win season <laughs> but you know other than like of course injury whatever like a more serious answer is people like Billy get buried on the on the bench um Frank Nilakina gets a lot of time and looks like super overmatched I don't think that's gonna um happen um and, uh, yeah, I mean, and, like, Chris Dapps just, like, looks completely unready to assume the role of a lead guy. I think he's got to look like the lead guy, like, a decent number of games. I'm not sure, like, what that number is, but he's got to, like, he's got to take over, basically. At least, um, and yeah, or I guess at least make it look like, like, when he's on the floor, 
Like, the Knicks either have to be, like, not... They have to be not crappy on one end of the floor. Like, they, he needs to be yeah. giving them, like, a semblance of an identity. Might even be... Like, like, if they're good on defense but suck on offense when he's in the game, I'll live with that, or vice versa. But if, like, they're just crappy on both ends, that's... Yeah, he's got to occasionally be like, you know what, I'm not letting this happen and impose his will. And, like, and I don't expect that to happen all the time, but, like, you know... I don't know, one out of every five games or whatever. He's got to be one of these guys who's like, when he decides that enough with the bullshit, like he's going to like lead the team on a run because that's what the good players do. So so what would be your best case scenario for them? I don't know why Peter and the Wolf just came out of me. But that's fine. It's always the curse. I think, you know, Honestly, like, it's not going to happen. The best case is, like, six seed in the playoffs. Because that just means that, like, there's an unbelievable level of talent in Chris Tapps, Porzingis, and that Hardaway is outshining everyone's expectations. And Frank Nilakina is way closer, you know, to Magic Johnson than, like, Rod Strickland. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> that, to me, is best case. That's, like, extreme, extreme best case. Um you know, I guess uh, more realistic is that they get a lot out of Chris Stapps, they get a lot out of Hardaway, but they're still, as we know, they've got a ton of like bad defenders still, and they finish sort of like maybe like six, seven, eight range in like the lottery, and they hit on the lottery pick and get like first, second, third pick, and can get one of these top talents while not being. I just think what I'm worried about is if they're like a bottom three team, then I don't think Chris Stapps is who he thought he was. And maybe that's not fair and maybe that's not right, but that's what I'm worried about. So I'd like to see them finish like a little bit higher with still decent lottery odds and like hit the lottery for the first time. They've had people, the Knicks like as like these lottery luck darlings because of Patrick Ewing is ridiculous because that was 30 years ago, you know. So, and they've had nothing but bad luck since. So, I think they're due for a little good luck in the lottery. And I think, I actually, I agree with everything you say there, and I don't even mean to sound surprised, like, oh, I actually agree with you. But, the, like, <laughs> um, maybe it's a situation where they're, like, kind of better than we expected, or maybe they are, like, a 7th, 8th, like, lottery seed, but then, you know, maybe they shut Kristaps down or they limit his minutes, and that's how they get right. better lottery odds. Then, um, then that's something you can get on board with for sure. Yeah, I mean, because the only other option that, that would be good would be, like, that Spurs thing where, you know, Robinson was out and they drafted Duncan. But, like, I don't want to wish any sort of no, year-long injury on yeah. anyone who's – like, Robinson was old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, we're too young for a year-long injury thing. I don't want to do the Sixers garbage. Yeah. And like, people yeah. already question Kristaps' health too much, even though he hasn't – like, he hasn't missed that much time. I think it's just he's always – there's always something. And they keep shutting him down at the end of the season to, like, mini tank when, like, he would probably keep playing if they were going to, you know, get in the playoffs and needed seeding positioning and all that stuff. So that's overblown, I think, Chris Tapp's injury stuff. You're worried about someone who's big. Big guys have a huge history with that. But he hasn't shown me anything yet where I'm like, oh, my God. Until he shows me he's actually 7'5", I won't worry. (laughs) Oh, my God. I hope he is 7'5". That's so amazing. He's going to be eye level with the rim at some point. Did you see them doing the standing reach thing the other day? I did not. Um, uh, and so you know those like uh, when they measure vertical. Yeah. Your, your vertical with like the you hit the things the little spinny things. What's that thing called? It should have a name. I actually don't know. That's a good question. I got homework yeah. now. 
Yeah, like the wet, like I like names for stuff like that. Like I think the little ridge on the top of your uh, lip is called a, a frenulum. Oh Jesus Christ! I did not know that. <laughs> I think it is, but yeah, it's got a name. I think it's a frenulum. It's something similar to that. There's like an umlum in there, but I would like to know what that thing is. But anyway, so there was great footage of him just. They were measuring standing reach, so he just walked with his hands up, like through those <laughs> spinning things. And it was something like nine foot five, I think, is his standing reach. So that's comforting. Yeah. And look, he, I. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just about to say, like, could you imagine only having to jump, uh, well, more than seven inches because you like clear the ball, but like jump like a foot to dunk the ball? That's just. I need a trampoline to touch the net, pretty much. So, <laughs> have you ever touched rim, Dan? Uh, no, no. Have you, James? Uh, when I was like seventeen, but that was many. Yeah, there was like one shining moment that people might question, like the Seinfeld, like the starting gun <laughs> episode style. But I know I touched that rim, so that's okay. I can sleep at night. I believe in you. And look, um, I think since we started talking about frenulums, that's probably the best place to end the podcast. I don't think anyone saw it going there. Uh, thank you so much for being generous with your time. This was, for a Knicks podcast, I thought this was super enjoyable. I thought I might have been depressed, but this was fun. So hey, this is what I do, Dan. That's what I do. Yeah, so and speaking of what he does, he's the James Marcetis is the host of the Locked On Knicks podcast. And if you were worried that listening to a Knicks podcast daily might be depressing it clearly won't be because he's finding ways to give you silver linings and make it entertaining no matter what so i highly suggest checking that out you should also be following him on twitter he runs the nba injury report account which is absolutely hysterical it's at nba injury r3port so be sure to give him a follow if you want to talk to me on twitter i'm at dan favale that's f-a-v-a-l-e you can follow andy on twitter at andrew d bailey spelled like it sounds Please follow MBA Math at MBA underscore math. Hardwood Knox is at Hardwood Knox. Please also subscribe, leave us a rating, leave us a comment, even if it's just to tell us how much you hate us and that we suck. We appreciate all feedback. Since Andy is not here, we will not be giving a shout out to you know who. So until next time. Hello, I'm Joe Cordell of the domestic litigation firm Cordell and Cordell. At Cordell and Cordell, we encourage our clients to participate, to recognize how essential their role in this process is. They've got to be willing to help us help them. And by working jointly in a sort of partnership, we're more likely to get the best possible outcome for our clients. And that's really the standard that our clients can fairly hold us to, is what is the best possible outcome for them. So clients who are facing divorce need to recognize that for them to succeed, they need a partnership, a partnership between them and their attorney. The attorneys at Cordell & Cordell work to help men maximize their role in their children's lives. Contact the domestic litigation firm of Cordell & Cordell to schedule an appointment with one of our firm's San Francisco area attorneys, a partner men can count on. 650-389-1111. Online at CordellCordell.com. That's CordellCordell.com. Offices in San Francisco, San Mateo, and San Jose. Se habla español. Legal services available in English and Spanish. Kimberly Llewellyn licensed in California. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn and complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. 
Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.